We want to say thank you for listening. So our sponsors have given some great deals in this episode. Check these out. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Access PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Access PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Access system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at access.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With a certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Up next in this Asterix episode, we have a fun conversation coming. So we get a little history lesson in the U.S. Navy and one of their uh, their mission profiles that they actually had to create and do. So as they were doing it, our guest actually talks about how he came in and said, hey, what about search and rescue? And they're like, well, we don't need search and rescue. He's like, but what if, or an extraction? 
we're fully capable to do so. So he gives us the full rundown of how everything happened and how an entire mission profile changed just because the capabilities of those crews. It is so cool. So please welcome our next guest, United States Navy rescue swimmer, Mr. Bill Moss, AKA Red Dog. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today, we've got a guest who's coming back to us. Uh, he was in episode 77. We know him as Red Dog. What's up, Red Dog? How are you, buddy? I'm good, brother. How are you this morning? Man, well, I, I guess am... it's this afternoon at your house, isn't it? I, you know what it is, but you know what? I am <laughs> fantastic. Today, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. You and I are going to do an asterisk episode because um, we're going to get into a little history here. And the greatest part about this is initially you didn't want to do this because it didn't have to do with search and rescue which then turned into search and rescue and you're going to give us all this detail about how it happens and i'm excited because it's the helicopter combat squadron five right detachment right. six right so hc5 d6 right right that's right. correct awesome correct. so the greatest part about this is and everybody knows I was not a Navy guy. So I don't really actually know any part of this, which is exciting for me, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. You're close enough, brother. I, man, puddle jumper. I don't go past my knees. Come on, Red Dog. <laughs> <laughs> what they say, you say, you got to be tall, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Red Dog, if you don't mind, just give us a little rundown. Like, wh what, are we, uh, what are we getting ourselves into with this one? Well, you know, I could, just, I could just shoot from the hip on that. And just what I want you to, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that the formation of debt six was something that came about from God, Admiral somebody up in Westpac, Compare Westpac or over in Hawaii. And we had human intelligence on a ship that was mining the Straits of Hormuz. This is 1985. And that caused some concern. Uh, internationally, it caused concern because that was the main oil route through the, through the uh, Hormuz and the uh, North Arabian Sea, et cetera. So the determination was made that they needed somebody to take seals out to the ship and get it. Okay. And at that point in time, they really didn't have anybody in Westpac that would do it. Now they did have HC9 here in, uh, in, in San Diego and they had HC4 over on Norfolk. And they, those guys, that's what they did, but they all had H1s and H3s. So the H46 community didn't do any of that. So 
the question was raised is could the H-46 community, pre forward deployed H-46 community take care of that, do that mission? And of course, everybody, the skippers, oh yeah, 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 we can do that. Well, they forgot to ask the guys, you know what I mean? Yeah, the guys that are actually so, going to do the job. Oh yeah, yeah, those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How they often said, does yeah, that happen? Do oh yeah, all said, the yeah. time. Well, they said, yeah, we're going to do that. We can do that. And everybody said, oh yeah, we can. So it was like, anybody ask anybody downstream? Well, so lo and behold, in October of 85, I had just gotten back off of debt for Burt Rep debt. I'd, I'd been gone four months, was kind of settling into the squadron routine. And uh, I got a, my phone on my desk only rang about twice a year. So when it rang, I never answered it. I had a second class in there to answer that phone. I said, you get that phone. So he said, <laughs> see chief, he said, it's the, it's the skipper. And I was like, oh. The one thing I didn't want to hear was it's the skipper. So I got on the phone, talked to him, and he said, uh, come see me in my office. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh-oh. Oh, you know, I'm just coming back <laughs> off of off of uh, Liberty Calls in uh, Subic, Singapore, Muscat, Diego Garcia, and Fremantle, Australia. And I wanted to know what he knew, you know. <laughs> so I so I go charging down the skipper's office, and when I come in, he said, uh, he said, at that time I was a senior chief. He said, senior chief, he said, uh, why don't you go ahead and close that door? And I thought, oh man, this is gonna be a peach. Well, then he says, We got an issue here, and I want you to volunteer for it. Is that like Skipper telling you you are volunteering for it? Yeah, yes, so it voluntold. Is. I like to call it voluntold. <laughs> yeah. So he said, uh, he said, I got a, we've got a, a mission that just came up and I want you to volunteer for it. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't like there was any hesitation. I said, sure, because I didn't care. And uh, I mean, 46, I love that machine. And uh, I just didn't care. Okay, what is it? And then he told me what it was. And I said, Phew, that sounds like the most fun you can have with your clothes on. You know what I mean? And he said, he said, well, he said, I need a second crewman to go with you. And I said, well, sure. Pick just one individual. Right away, he said, not going to happen. I said, okay. That's fine. I'll just go down and we'll get all the crew chiefs together and we'll get one to volunteer. And I went down and we had like 13 crew chiefs. One thing about HC5, most of those guys came out of the HC community, HC11, HC3, and they were very NATOPS oriented, not very out of the box. And I'd come out of, you know, one of my claims to fame was, uh, uh, I did, I only did, uh, well, I did a couple of repeat performances, but every time I tried to change platforms, I went to a different airplane every time when I transferred. So I had, I don't know, maybe 600 hours and 46s. And I'm down there talking to guys with like 5,000 hours, in them, you know, but they'd never been anywhere else. So. 
and they were all very natops oriented. So when it came down to the rubber meeting the road, nobody volunteered because they didn't like the fact that there was one crew chief, two pilots, NVGs were involved without training, um, fast rope, all of that. Yeah. No, and all of it at night, zero four hundred in the morning, you know? Yeah. So they said, no, we're not doing that. So I went back up to the skipper. I said, skipper, I said, I can't get anybody to volunteer. He said, well, do you think your guy will work? I said, I know he will. Because he and I were on debt together. He was a bad actor in the squadron. But when I had him out on debt, he was a great guy. Good crew chief, ex-Marine, new guns, all the stuff that we were going to be doing. So he said, I, he said, okay, but you gotta, you're the one that's got to control him. He was kind of a wild child. So I said, that's not a problem. So I got with him and he and I discussed it. And I told him exactly. I said, your butt is on the line, brother. So you need to do what I tell you to do. And when I say it, you do it. He said, okay, it's done. I want Roger that chief. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. May I have another? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he said, uh, he said he'd take the job. So he was my second crewman. Now we got pilots that volunteered. So we start doing mm, not workups, but I guess you could call them workups. We did a lot of night flying initially, just the crews. And then we got the NVGs. Well, the night vision goggles we got with the old PBS fives, they weighed about four pounds. You put them on and in about a half an hour, you had a diamond cutter of a headache, you know? Yep. Oh yeah. And, uh, and what I did for my guys, we just took lead, we had on the rear ramp, there's a, a, a winch connection and they had one pound, one pound lead balls that uh, you could put on the uh, cable to keep it from flopping around. Yeah. And I just split one of them and Velcroed it to the back of my helmet, carried around my helmet bag. So when it was time to put the NVGs on, I'd just stick the, I'd stick the uh, uh, lead half a ball each on my on my helmet and that would kind of hold my head up enough to but there was all kind of concoctions with those things because those were old tanker goggles yeah and and they were man like i said they were heavy anyway it's amazing that the intelligence we were getting was so strong that they felt like this had to be a hurry up uh let's do this really quick so the first SAR or the first SEAL team to come over was there like in we did two weeks of work up just the two crews form flying and whatever and uh then the first SEAL teams came over there and that was quite an experience they um they're a great bunch to work with I'll will tell you that they, they're professional and I mean just really fantastic group so having said all of that, we started working with the teams on shoots. We do night shoots and all of this. The skipper came out, actually came out 
to an all squadron, all hands meeting and said, listen, if I hear anything about fast rope on the hangar deck, somebody's going to jail. That's how secret it was. Damn. Now, now I understand that HC9 was doing it in San Diego, but they had just started. So we had the HC9 had H3s. So we had the first 46. We're the first 46 op to do it fast rope that I know of. Yeah. And uh, when, when uh, SEAL Team Chief came up to me and said, well, where are we going to put this thing? I said, well, you know, and we talked about it. Finally, we decided that, that we would put the fast rope on the hoist and have a uh, safety uh, uh, rope that went to the arm in case something happened to the hoist. It would not drop the rope. Okay. And there were two, and there were two fast ropes. There was a 40-foot fast rope for on-deck fast roping, and then there was a 90-foot that the SEALs hated, because, but that's what we had to use for... Uh, for uh, if it had uh, a container ship, if it was a you know had containers on the deck, we had a ninety foot boat that we used. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was it, we did everything at night. We'd go in at eleven. We'd fly down to Agate, which is an old airfield down in Guam. And we fly down there, we take all the windows and doors out, sandbag, sandbag the windows. And I'll refer back to that in a little while. Okay. And we sandbag the windows for the snipers. Because we had mm -hmm. snipers in snipers in each airplane. And the command and control airplane had the the squad leader and two snipers and they had 40 mic mic hand grenades and the plan was initially this is initially and it, it didn't go down this way but initially the plan was that would cnc airplane would come around the side of the ship and if anybody gave us any trouble we just shoot out the con with the 40 mic mic grenades and that was the that was the plan Oh my gosh. All the time we're shooting up front with the command and control airplane, the SEALs are out back. You know, we're putting them on the deck in the back of the ship, fast rolling. Anyway, that's how that was initially was supposed to go down. So we took two airplanes and pretty much dedicated them to the dead. So we were there. But every time we would fly it, we'd have to do brass, we'd police brass and put all the doors back on, the windows back in, everything, and take them back to the to the squadron like nothing had happened. And when you say police brass, for those that don't know, it's just cleaning up all of the extra shells and the casings yeah, from all, all of, the ammunition. All, of, all the brass casings, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. For those that don't know, I, you know, I, yeah, I exactly, at least, exactly. I know. We, hey. we police up, we police up the brass in the airplane, throw that all out in on the in in the woods, you know, 
and then uh, take it back to the squadron. Well, of course, you know, the night crew, they were all like, what are you guys doing? Because, man, I can't tell you. I'll tell you, got to kill you, you know? And, <laughs> and, and they're like, they're like, what are you doing? So finally, I had this uh, maintenance material control officer, I think he was, comes up to me one day and he has a Ziploc bag with about five empty casings in it, brass casings. And he dropped them on my desk. And see, he was so mad because he didn't know what we were doing with his airplanes. As the skipper said, nobody knows. So he dropped them on, and I just looked at him. And I didn't like him. He didn't like me. And it's been that way ever since. But I looked at him. I picked up, yeah, I picked up that bag of brass. And I walked down to the skipper's office. I walked to the skipper. I said, skipper, Mr. Uh, I won't say his name, said he wanted to know what I'm where these came from and I dropped the brass on Skipper's desk. <laughs> Skipper <laughs> said, see and see for you, excuse us. And I left. <laughs> we didn't hear anything else about it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, when you got the I skipper mean, on your side, that's, that's all how, good. <laughs> and that's how secretive it was. It was wow. you know, you know, the the you guys throw covert and black op and all that around you know and those are just words but when it really is covert and it really is a black op it really is and people don't know what you're doing and they all want to know and you can't tell them so we took we did one one or two fast rope evolutions on Guam with each team that came through. We, I, I, I took care of team one, three, and five. And uh, so with each team that came through, we did, uh, we did a fast rope evolution in the daytime so that they get used to the op. And we did it just like we were going to do it on the boat, you know, but we did the approach into the airport, not the airport, but the old runway. And then after about two weeks, the team would depart and we'd still continue to do night vision goggle training and all that, you know, keeping up to date. And then after about two weeks, we'd go down to Subic. And that was where we would do the major gun shoots and, and all of that. And we'd take, take two airplanes out of whatever detachment was coming through there. And there's another thing. We had an issue, and I won't say what squadron it was, but it was a 46 squadron from the West Coast. And how this whole thing was supposed to work, they would identify the ship. The name of the ship was the Iran Ajar. And they would identify the ship. They had a C-5 in at Hickam Air Force Base. Hickam would say, launched the C-5, they would fly to us. We had a two-hour window that we were on, and they would fly to us, pick us up in Guam in our cruise box, and then fly us to Subic. We'd pick up the Connex with the, with the SEALs and fly to Masira, Oman. And then from Masira, we would take whatever ship had two H-46s on it, we would fly out 
and take their take their airplanes. Well, we did a practice run in Subic with a squadron from the West Coast. And I knew the maintenance chief. So we roll up to the boat. They're tied up at Subic. We roll up to the boat with, you know, uh, 20 SEALs, two crewmen and four pilots. And we go up on the JOD uh, deck, say here, we're taking your airplanes. Oh my God. That ain't happening. <laughs> so the debt officer in charge comes down and he's screaming and yelling on the quarter deck about you ain't getting my airplanes, you got to test fly them, yada 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 yada. The ONC of debt six gives him a card with a phone number on it and says, Call this number. So he opts up to OOD out shack. Makes a phone call. He comes back down and said, give them whatever they want. <laughs> that, that's how it was. And that's, now that's how to get a job done. Oh, my God. Well, in the interim, see, in the interim, while all that was happening, I went back aft and talked to the maintenance chief. And I said, Dan, I said, this ain't, we're, nothing's going to happen to your airplanes. There'll be no time on them. Nothing. Hey, I'm good with that. So. He said, just don't break them. You know, I said, it won't be broken. We bring them back. So that's how that went down. And it went down pretty well from an enlisted to an enlisted level. But some of them lieutenant commanders didn't have quite grasp on it. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. They had, they had, <laughs> there was some, there was some hot words spoken on the quarter deck. Let's just say that. And, but it, what happened. I happened. can totally see it too. Oh, man. Well, you know, we rolled in there with a steak truck full of full of seals and air crewmen and shit. And we're, we're they're all look, looking over the uh, looking over the rail, you know, going, "What in the hell's going on?" And off we load, and we loading right up on the quarter deck, you know. And they're like, "Who are you guys?" <laughs> a couple guys from out of town, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just stopping in for so, a visit. So it happened, it happened, and we made, we made that, it, it, and it became noted in, in the fleet, uh, in Westpac, that that might happen in the 46 community. It spread like wildfire. So we, uh, we took two or three, well, it was two weeks. We'd go down there for two weeks at a time at the end of each cycle of each team, in other words, team one at the end of the team, before they deployed to Westpac. So, and at the end of that cycle, we'd work with them. And then they, so they would know if it came up, they would know what the procedures were and how we were going to go about doing this. Okay, now I'm going to get, tell you about how the SAR part of this came about. Love it. Right. I'm engrossed in this already. Having, so. having said that 20 minutes worth of whatever, <laughs> we go to our first meeting with the commander of NSW1, I think. Anyway, he, he holds a meeting for this evolution. And we're all in there, you know, they're, they're all uh, team ones in there. I'm there, all my people. 
you know, we're all standing around, sitting down, whatever. And the command master chief, who was a really good guy, he was like a legend in the teams. Well, he and I hit it off just almost instantly. And uh, he says, he says, uh, as during the course of the of the brief, the commander uh, says, "Well, okay, these guys." like, you know, we're just somebody just came in off the street. He said, these guys are just going to take you guys out there and drop you off and leave. And I looked at the master chief and I went, what? And the commander said, well, y'all are just the delivery guys. I said, whoa, time out. I said, commander, can we kind of have a sidebar, me and you and the master chief? Yeah, you can do that. And then he went on with some other stuff, team stuff. And then he said, okay, you guys all go, rest of you stay. So we go into a sidebar with the, with the commander and the, and the master chief and myself. And the master chief says, so commander, commander, you ought to listen to what Red Dog here has got to say. He said, uh, he makes a lot of sense and we're gonna need it because this was one of the first times the H-46 flew over the horizon. We're okay. going out of town. We're going yeah. out of town, you know. So if anything happens, we somebody decides to give himself up for seventy-two virgins, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to be there to pick them out of the ocean, you know. Yeah. And we have that. We have that capability. The guy didn't know it. The commander. He was like, "Well, yes, sir. We are a search and rescue combat squadron." And we will, if anybody gets blown over the side or shot or whatever, we will medically evacuate them or I'll put the hook in the water and we'll bring them out of the water. We yeah. have that capability on both the airplanes and the crew chiefs to do it. Well, that all of a sudden, everything changed. Now, instead of being just the delivery guys, now we're an integral part of the team because of the SAR effort. Love it. Love it. So now it's like, well, I guess we need to get you guys, you know, cranked up on the weapons and all that. Yeah, probably. Because we had <laughs> guns all over the airplane. I mean, they had M16s and all kind of stuff. So I get on the I get on the horn and tell the boss back at 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 tell my boss back at thing. I'm not coming back for another week. Subic. I'm in Subic. I'm working the range. And we went every night at midnight and shot and did quads. Wow. Every night from midnight to four. And you never picked up any brass down there because the next night it'd all be clean because the Negritos would come from Subic and pick all the brass up, make ashtrays and cigarette holders and stuff like that. I mean, but anyway, so it, it it was a good evolution for me. I, I got I got you know I qualified on like four different weapons the first week. And oh my gosh! The only one that I didn't qualify on was the sniper rifle, which was fifty cal. Yeah. And I want you to know when that weapon went off, it sucked all the air out of the airplane. 
I'm sure they did. <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing airplane, or amazing gun. And part of the guy, part of the story is the guy that was the head sniper, and I can't remember his name. He had he was written up in uh, in All Hands or something. Up until Chris Kyle, he had the longest hit. It was like 1,700 yards or something. Up until the Canadian guy in Afghanistan and Chris. Wow. He had, I mean, and they waited like five days in the jungle for this guy to come by on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It was quite, he, he had quite a story. Quite a story. Jeez, oh so, man, that's awesome. All right. Now, now let's talk about tactics. Okay. I like it. I like it. So we're going, the initial called for uh, on MBGs, night form flying, no lights, 25 feet off the ocean and 100 knots. Jeez. And I want to tell you, if you're standing on the back of a boat and an H-46 is coming at you at 100 knots at 25 feet off, you won't hear it. As loud as that airplane is, you can't hear it. Once it pops up, then you get the wop, wop, wop. But if it's just coming at you, you cannot hear it. My skipper, oh, that's BS. No, 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 skipper, come on down. Because we had a bunch of MSC boats. Well, we had two that we were working with down in Philippines. And yeah. we, I took him out on the boat one night. And and he was amazed. Because we're standing there talking next thing, you know, wop, 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 wop. And the boys were over the top. Oh, was like okay red dog i got you you know but anyway <laughs> it was really really quite an experience so part of that form flying especially without lights was kind of freaky you know everybody was like well how are we going to do this how are we going to do this so we had a meeting just a regular briefing and I said, well, you know, the, the, the winch on the ramp overhead has a hook. There's a, a, a riveted hook up there where the winch mounts when you're working off the tail. Why don't we put a chem light there and a chem light on each side of the ramp to give a triangle? Could you work with that? They were like, Boing. Yeah, we could do that. So that became, we, we did it that night and it worked really good. So wow. We, wow. Chem lights, chem lights became a part of the pack out, you know. Something so, so simple. Just... Yeah, well, and, and you know, you couldn't, can't see it from the front. Right. That's the thing. It's all in the back. So the, so the night watchman on the ship, he's not going to see anything. Yeah. And all he's going to hear is the 12 seals hitting the deck, you know, after they <laughs> shot him. But so we we worked on that that form flying for a while. It was quite something. We have to adjust. See, we didn't have any training on the NBGs. We didn't have what they call a blue cockpit. So what we had to do was turn the lights all the way down or almost all the way down on the, on the dash. And then the pilot 
his head was outside the cockpit all the time, meaning he, he wasn't looking at gauges or anything. He was flying the airplane. Right, right. And the co-pilot and the co-pilot would adjust one eye to read the gauges and the other eye to look outside. Crazy. It was yeah. crazy. And it worked. Of course, after about, you, you just couldn't put them on and ride around with them all night, you know, because it just killed you. Your headache. Yeah. Terrible. So, but another thing about, good thing about it is once you got the vectors to the ship, at about five to six miles, you could pick up the bio lessons. You could pick up the wake of the boat. Oh, and yeah. And it was like an arrow, you know, you just flew right up the wake, man. At wow. That's right, because everything and everything's illuminated even more on goggles. Exactly, so exactly. You're like, wow, hey, look, I've got a light path. You know, it was like, wow, you know, what is <laughs> that's it? the longest runway I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, we learned a lot doing all of this because we were experimenting with it most of the time because hell, nobody ever done it before. So we're putting 12 seals on the boat at about 20 knots, maybe, give or take. Well, what would happen is we would fly up the wake and at maybe 100 feet back of the ship, we'd do a pop-up. We'd pop up to a 70-foot side flare and skid right across the, and my, the only call that I made, I would stand in the door and I got 12 seals behind me, the first one holding 40 foot of rope. The rest of them, testosterone so thick you couldn't cut it with an ax. <laughs> and I would make one call. I'd look down once we slid over the deck sideways. We're at 70 knot side flare. We slide over the deck. I'd say, I've got the deck and I'd step out of the way. The, the seals never looked down. They, the guy would throw the rope out and be on the rope and they would be boom, boom, boom. I could put 12 seals on the deck in 12 seconds. Oh my gosh. What? And, they, and those guys, and those guys had a, a combat complement on, you know, they had like extra 45, 50 pounds. Jeez, oh man. In 18 months, we had one accident and we broke a, a guy broke his leg. But Landing I mean, the rope or just a, a bad landing. Well, I hit the deck. He hit the he hit the deck, and a guy came down on top of him, and it broke. Uh, so hey, that's the way it. You know, that's price you pay. But yeah. we we were everything we did was aimed. We kind of aimed it all at safety, but you had to work a little bit out of the box sometimes. You know what right. I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. The fast rope delivery of seals on a moving vessel was something that nobody had ever done before. And we were doing it, we were doing it every other, every two weeks or whatever, you know, for 18 months. Not, not when it was a year, it was a year. So it, it was, uh, it was a pretty, <laughs> it was pretty fascinating. Wow. And weapons, and of course, the weapons we had. So there were several things that we could not get, even though we were direct, we were in direct 
uh, contact with the SEAL teams uh, was because the squadron wasn't what is known as FAD-1. FAD-1 is a combat something. I forget what it stands for. But they wouldn't give us gun mounts. We wanted gun mounts, and they wouldn't, would not give them to us. So we were at in the we were at Subic for one trip, and the Marines were down there from one of the that's one of the Japan squadrons or Okinawa, and they crashed an airplane out by Grandy Island, which is not far off Subic Bay, the okay. base, and salvaged it, brought it in, and put it on the hangar deck at uh, at what they call a HSL line. So I go down there and I'm looking at it and damp it didn't have gun mounts in it. <laughs> of so course it does. Why wouldn't it? I go, I go to the I go to the the hangar deck supervisor. I said, what are you gonna do with that airplane? He said, tomorrow it's going to the burn pit. We're gonna do use it as a trainer. I said, all right. Then he said, I leave at five. <laughs> okay. That's all I need to know. Thank you, sir. 630, 6.30, me and, me and my boy was back there with a brass hammer and can of 5606 knocking the, knocking the gun mounts out. So now I got two gun mounts. Oh, my God. And we, had to, and we took them down to the – we had a space down at HSL line. We took them down there, and we, we stripped them and zyglowed them, made sure they weren't cracked. You know, they were good. They were good to go. Well, they were just going to burn them to, tomorrow, you know, so, hey. I, we took them and kept them down in the space. Zyglowed them and then painted them. And, you know, we got them fixed up. Well, the, getting them back to Guam was another thing. So I've had them in a cruise box. So we go, we were traveling commercial. So we go Air Micronesia. We go down there and the gal goes, uh, Oh, that's got to go, uh, that's got to go, uh, it can't go in the luggage. It's got to go. I said, no, 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 it's going in luggage. I want it in luggage. No, 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 it can't. You can't, you can't. Yeah, well, you can make that happen. Just get it in luggage, you know. Well, after about a half an hour of arguing with this gal, I said, look, I'm changing my tactics. So I went to the ONC of the debt, and I said, Skipper, I said, give me $100. He reached in his wallet and gave me a hundred dollar bill. I folded up, put it in my palm, and I walked back to the counter. Little Filipino girl still there. I said, I, I really would like that to go uh baggage because it had stuff in it. It had the gun mount, it had some spare ammo, not canned, but boxed. Yeah. And a couple of pistols. You know, I mean, it had stuff that if it was a C5 or something, it wouldn't have been an issue. But for the commercial side of the house, it was, so I just went and I showed her this $100 bill. You know, in the Philippines, then the Philippines would shit 100 bucks and feed your kids for a month, you know? So, yeah. so I show her this $100 bill and she says, let me get somebody up here to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> and we loaded it and we loaded it in, in, in baggage and I love it. 
everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. And took two of us and and duty driver to get it in the truck back back in Guam. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I mean, I mean, but that was the kind of stuff that nobody had ever done before. So we were out there just getting. Now I understand they've got they've actually the squadron. Oh, I don't know about now, but back thirty years ago, uh, the squadrons actually did get a fad one or something, and they could order guns and and mounts and stuff like that. But there during the first year of it, man, I was like stealing everything I could get my hands on to make this operation <laughs> happen. I love it. So, I love it. Hey, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do to get shit done. It's just the way it well, works. That's it. That's it. You had you just you know it was it 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 was so good to work in a new environment. When I say new environment, I just mean that it was good because you didn't have any rules. You had to make your rules. And that's like what we talked about before about thinking outside the box. You know, you got to think outside the box sometimes to make the box work. So, yeah. and that, in, in effect, I will tell you that we never got the Iran ajar. Oh, all the training up to that point. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. We never got it. The 160th Thor got it. The Still have a gun. Well, and they just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and the intel was correct. And I actually, I actually talked to the guy that fired the first shots. Yeah. And then we talked about the tactics involved and everything that they did, they were doing exactly like we trained. So we kind of oh, laid, awesome. laid the groundwork for all of that. You know what I mean? Awesome. But he didn't have a big, he was, he was, uh, he was driving a, a small bird when he fired the first shots. Define small bird. Yeah. Uh, 53. OH, OH. 530 or whatever it is i forget the loach the loach okay, okay. Loach. yeah wow and uh that was that was what the first he was the first one on the scene because he was littlest and the fastest that's what he said so <laughs> he got to shoot first but oh, yeah that was awesome. that and that pretty much is the story i don't know if you have any questions about any of it but most of it is all you know mo most of it is all just Hey, we went out, they gave us a job to do, and we did it. That is awesome. I, what I really like is, is you know, like when you guys come in, and I, I actually see this a lot, um, even now, today, with people don't understand the full capability of some of our crews, whether it's rescue crew, whether it's, um, well, I'll, I'll, let me speak rescue crew specifically, yeah. and, you know, because we can go out and do, and this is, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth here in a second, but it's weather dependent. It's, you know, pilot dependent, aircraft dependent, you know, all these factors that come into play. So we're not just going to roll out and zero, zero to next to some mountain and start hoisting at 11, 12, 13,000 feet. We're not, we're not going to do that. However, the training that we do and everything that, that we encompass to try to maximize our capabilities mountain rescue, urban rescue, water rescue, sea, river, lake, boat, small boat, big boat, you know, 
like there's so much and there are so many people that don't know or understand the capability of what we can do with a hoist with a long line like i'm on board with that and and you know i i, I don't know if if you know it or not but at one point i don't know if they're still doing it but at one point if the sheriff's department called me let's say and said hey i got a guy up on mount whitney and we need to go you guys need to go get him and i'd say well you got to call right pat is they call right patterson air force base get a mission number and then all our gas would be paid for you know awesome <laughs> it was you know and now i don't know if it's still doing it that way but when i was in the inland community what you just spoke about is is absolutely correct it's i did i did urban we yeah. trained i never did an urban but we trained it for an urban and that's out the window in a Stokes and 700 foot a minute climb to the left. Game <laughs> on. Going across the street into the other building. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So we did yeah. that. We did, uh, uh, of course, high mountain rescue, snow, hoisting, repelling, you know, all of that yeah. was all inclusive. Right. With the lake, you know, Lake Tahoe and, yeah. and Carson and all those. You know, so, I mean, it, 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 you're right. A lot of people don't understand and a lot of people don't want to understand, unfortunately. And, and you know, the, the, the motto said, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard when, when you don't know what you don't know. How do you make a decision on something that, that you're not sure of? And we yeah. can go as simple as, you know, some of the stuff. Again, I, I like to throw my own stories in there um, from time to time because it's, it's relevant to what we're talking about. And that is, you know, an aircraft goes offshore, you know, a company you're working for, the aircraft goes offshore, they're just doing a landing. Well, something happens, that aircraft's broken. Well, it's going to take four or five days to get a boat out there, a crew, a part, whatever. And I can be out there in 30 minutes with a, and hoist a guy and parts and tools in and be done. And they're like, wait a minute, you can do what? Like, yeah, buddy, I'm in a helicopter yeah. with a hoist. I can do whatever you want, whether depending and you know training dependent. But for the most part, like the you know adding a, a tagline or a guideline to something to keep it from spinning, and you know, there's just so much that I, if people knew what to ask, you know, and th this is part of why I like doing this podcast because when we start talking about some of this stuff, it's oh wow, you guys can do that. Yes, we can. So, and and you know, you know, I don't know if uh, you probably don't aren't aware of this or not, but one time Key West was probably the most active uh, maritime SAR, uh, you know, uh, unit in the United States from the Navy side. I don't know about the coasties, but Key West, NAS Key West, was probably the busiest uh, SAR unit in. This is back in the eighties. 90s well they had they had the cubans coming in the marable or whatever it was i forget what the name of it is but you know they had that going on plus they had all those shrimpers down there and a lot of equipment that we're using today i.e taglines and yeah. all that yeah well see they couldn't put the litters on the shrimp boats directly because of all the rigging and the panels and the doors and all the crap they got hanging off the trawlers you know so what they did is they would drop it down and then they had a had a, a leaded bag 
on the end of the rope. Yeah. And they'd made a trail line. And this was something they made down there initially themselves, just so they could get a Stokes letter on the uh, on the boat. Yeah. And they'd hover, they'd hover like 15 foot off the off the nose of the boat, throw the trail line down, they'd pull the stokes in, put them on there, and then let the stokes back out so that they could hoist them up. Yeah. And they oh, did that a lot. It. And that's I how that it. became part of the equipment list. Yeah. And now it's it's like very standard practice to use a tagline, guideline, whatever you want to call it, a rope connected yeah, to the piece right, of equipment to keep right. it stabilized. Yeah. It's beautiful. And the guys so. up the guys up in uh, there's a video out there somewhere. The guys up in Yosemite uh, are using something like that now so that they don't have to uh, uh, so that they can get the guy into the fish net or whatever device without having to put a guy down on the yeah. wall vertical yeah. extraction yeah great idea great idea yeah i, and, and I know I, the guy that i know the guy that developed that and i can't remember his name right now but it's all good it's all good but yeah. it, you yeah. know like you said though i mean and, and to kind of tie this all together even the guys in lamore when they went up to that you know eleven thousand, i think it was eleven thousand feet and they did a, a rappel in and then got hoisted out and they're rolling as they're picking the people up, they're they're dropping down and left away from the mountain to get down in altitude. And but the idea of hey, we can fast rope guys in and be on the backup in case something happens to go in and rescue, like it just it it changes the game. Um, I know customs guys that they're they do both roles. So they're they're guys you're either in the helicopter on weapons or you're the guy fast roping in and then you've got backup right there to hoist people out and i mean no, you know what we can like yep go ahead well i said that was again that was what changed our status with the teams was the fact that oh you can do that okay yeah well that's great that gives us another another aspect you know yeah. and it made us actually more like part of the team and the unit versus yeah. just the delivery guys man i love it uh, you know what let me throw one more in there too because I, I like to own up to my own mistakes and stuff so what happens when you get bad intel or something doesn't and all of a sudden you're deploying guys to a ship and it's not the right ship now you got to get them off so roll right back Same. in hoist everybody up go back get fuel and, and, and you know we had you know, on the 46s we had the high speed hoist you know that thing would get yeah. 200 foot a minute man you could breeze made a good one with that one yeah well done breeze Eastern. Yeah, that, that's funny I, you know i i i i actually put a job app in with breeze about 30 years ago you want me to call him tell him tell him you need to get in there now i'm done man. <laughs> I'm done. Matter of <laughs> fact, when I'm done with you, I'm 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 so wore out now. I'm gonna have to go sit in the recliner and take a nap. You know what? I might just do the same. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I, yeah, it's, it, it, like I said, it, that's that's the fact that we could pull them out of the water and save souls uh, actually changed our reputation with the teams. So love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. It worked. Man, you guys back in the day, you guys really paved we just the did. way for a lot of us. It is awesome. My favorite, my, one of my favorite state, statements was is made has been made by one of my one of the best pilots I knew, a guy named John Stotts. And 
Smoke was his nickname. Smoke used to say, well, guess we're just going to have to go up and stick our nose in it. <laughs> you know, and that, it, you know, more times than not, we got a rescue out of that just because nobody said no. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people that do not like that phrase, but I'm all in. I'm just saying. <laughs> turn it. Go Let's go. Kick the tires it. and light the fires. Let's turn this road ahead. Come on. <laughs> It's, it just, it just has, it has, you know, it, it just, there's a lot of things that I remember. It's like that thing I sent you the other day about, yeah. you know, that's real deal there, you know, right. right. Everybody has their own thing, man. Yep. Yep. And I committed that almost to memory about two or three weeks ago. I read it somewhere and the guy said, man, that makes so much sense. And it describes a lot about how you feel afterwards. Right, right. Yeah, this has to do with uh, how how different people handle PTSD and how it's you know. I read it. I read it. You know, guy and I know that's pretty smart. He uh, he came up with it. And it goes like this: grieving is an odd thing. It's a process with discrete phases. It's different for all of us. It is a random sort of personalized health. That, my friends, describes PTSD in its probably its purest form. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and we all go through it just a little bit different. Yeah. Everybody's got a different stroke, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I you know, like I said, you and I have had the similar experiences. So it's understand yes sir and it is yeah. and you got the type a personalities that all sark truman are you know we ain't gonna tell nobody nope we don't tell. you and know what that, that's why i'm looking up to you and shit yeah. you gotta tell yeah, me yeah, yeah. You, know? yeah you, gotta, you gotta be that dude you gotta be that guy yeah yeah <laughs> oh i love it i just go out and run i just go out and run three miles to be done with it yeah that's it right <laughs> Clear anyway, my head. I'm just gonna go clear my head. Yeah, yeah. Get my mind right. Yep. Um, anyway, Red Dog, this has been an absolute got, honor. Bro. I love it. And, and again, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Again, I love the history lesson. Uh, the fact that we can bring this all together. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing with yeah, us. I'm glad it worked. I'm glad it worked. Me I too. It, you know, I have to tell you, I, I, I there's debt in the in the 46 community debt six was kind of uh a lot of people didn't know what it was so they made stuff up and there was a lot of stuff going around and i met actually met uh, at nha this year i met a the, one of the ex-skippers and he he didn't even have the true story so i had to send him the true story well, yeah, I, mean, now we he hear. Up, I said where are you get i said where did you get that from he said, well, I know. I, I said, no, 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 no. I was the guy, you know? And he was like, he was like, you were? Yes, sir. I'm the guy. He's the guy. I'm the guy. The He's guy. the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that's all. I was, I was just in while we were on break there. I was just in looking for that, uh, that tra teaser on HC7. I'll send it to you if I find it. Okay. Perfect. All right. Love it. Red Dog. Thank you so much, fun. my friend. It's been an yes, absolute sir. pleasure yet again.
And uh, I, I look forward to our, our continued conversation because I, I rather enjoy it every time we talk. All right. Well, I'm glad you do because I feel like I got something to offer. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. Cool. All right, brother. Until next time. Yes, sir. Have and a with good that, day. Ladies, you too. Yeah. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we and aloha. are out of here. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.